You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah.gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as I can. Uh, but before we get started, um, David, if I could trouble you, there's no clock. And I like clocks. But anyways, if you have a chance. Otherwise, I'll just guess. It is hot outside. I was on the East Coast. Now I'm back in good old Michigan. Woke up this morning. Pitch black. No lights. Forget lights. No clocks. Uh, phone's not charging because we had some major storms last night here in Michigan and all the electricity decided to go away. Except here in the wonderful studios of NRM Streamcast where there is some air conditioning, not major air conditioning, but it's cooler than my house. So of course I said, that's it. I'm going to be like all the other people and get me a generator. So a friend went, schlepped it, set it up, got it up and running, he has to run. I plug it in, bring it into the house. Not the generator. You're not allowed to bring generators into the house. It's very dangerous. Um, and it's not working. And I call him and he says, read the manual. You're talking to the wrong person. Manuals, I see. I don't know. I don't get it. Very frustrating for those of us who have two left hands. And you should only know the other things he wanted me to connect the generator to. It's a good thing I didn't go that direction. But in any case, hopefully when I get home, I spoke to my trusted friend Andy who thinks that it's just a breaker switch and now that I know what that breaker switch is hopefully that miraculously will make it work and I will be happy. It's not going to power the air conditioning. There's supposed to be a way to power the air conditioning. Um, I'm not sure what it is. Um, I mean I know what it is. I gotta like run into the electric in my house. I don't think that's the kind of thing I do. I barely know how to turn it on. As a matter of fact I have no idea how to turn it on. There's all these red buttons. But it is running, and there's gas in it, and hopefully it'll make sure my food doesn't spoil, and the kids can have lunch, and the toaster will work, and the microwaves will work, and, and the freezer will work, and the stove will work, and we can at least live, and we'll hang out in the basement where it's cooler. But in any case, that's some of the things happening in my life. We'll talk more in the next show. But this week's story portion is called... Shoftim, or judges, which is a, we're going to take it almost in a different direction, but it's a command that you're required to have court systems. I believe we've talked in the past, certainly in the prophets, they talk about it, that one of the problems facing the Jewish people, certainly in the first temple with Isaiah, um, the judges were not on the level they should have been, and that led to that was one of sort of the things that aimed things into uh, the destruction of the first temple, which leads to the destruction of the second temple, which leads us to where we are today. A society needs 
honest judges. It's not just honest judges. I mean, there's there's rules and regulations, which we're going to talk about. That's really this week's Torah portion. At the beginning, you have to have judges, and they have to be righteous, and there's the police that enforce, and... And they have to, you know, they can't take, I mean, there's a lot of simple stuff like not taking bribes, but you, you wonder how far that idea of not taking bribes go. Just again, just look at current events and what's going on and people that are powerful um, sway judges. And it may not be anybody's on purpose fault. It's, it's just the outlook. It's how they look at things. We have all kinds of rules that you have to treat everybody the same. There's all kinds of stories where great rabbis would cover their head. They wouldn't look at the two litigants. Uh, because if one was powerful and one was weak, it's very hard to help the weaker person. There's a reason one is powerful and one is weak. It's very hard. But with all that being said, um, that's not the judges I want to talk about. The judges I want to talk about is a time period in Jewish history it was called the judges. What happens like this. We leave Egypt. We were in the desert for 40 years. Joshua takes us into the land of Israel, conquers the land of Israel, takes 14 years conquering and dividing. When Joshua's finished conquering the land of Israel and dividing it, then he dies. Then there's a short period of time where the elders, the 70 elders went in with him. They continue to get things running, and, and then they're gone. And then you have a period of time approximately... I'm going to say 360 years. It's not really a good number. It's probably it's probably a little more than that, approximately. Let's give it 360, 380, somewhere in that range, where the Jewish people are spread out. Each tribe has its area. Everyone's farming. Everyone is is doing what they're supposed to be doing. There's really no leadership. There is no federal government. There's really no local government. But the idea is you have a lot of supposed to be righteous people following Torah, following the laws, probably rabbis around, and there's priests, and there's Levites. There's no temple yet, but there is the tabernacle. The tabernacle in Shiloh was in existence, and people could go there and bring sacrifices, and if they had questions, and whatever had to do with tithing, all that existed. It was, I guess, the idea was like a utopia, where there's nobody collecting taxes from me, there's no king I'm subservient to. There's no governors I have to deal with. And there's also supposed to be no wars from neighboring countries. So what happens over this next 360 years, over and over and over, is that there will be a, a period of calm, and everyone's doing what they're supposed to. Then the Jewish people will start going off the track, some idol worship, whatever else the verses say. A neighboring nation will, I would say attack, but they sort of like just move their army in and take over. It doesn't like sound like there were really major wars. There was no, there were no military leaders. So they move in, start taking the taxes, start oppressing the Jewish people, and that will go again for a number of years. It's interesting. In those days, nothing was like six months. You didn't have a six-month war. It was like I took over, and then like, you know, eight years later, 10 years later, 15 years later, you know, we'll fight back. And then 20 years later, you'll fight again. It, was a very, it took a very long time to do stuff. Things were, moved at a slower pace, to say the least. So that period of time, oh, so now this, the enemy, the neighboring nation has taken over. The Jewish people 
will repent, or someone will help them repent, and God will send a person, could be man, could be lady, right? Devorah was a lady, and and that was called the time of the judges, and this person would be a judge. Um, it seems every tribe, according to something I saw last week, every tribe at some point had a judge. It is not clear who the judge from each tribe was. Samson was from Dun, um, as, as an example. So there, there's different, uh, there's others say a lot had to come from either Ephraim or Manasseh, but whatever it was, there were these judges. And they would help the people repent. And then that judge would turn around and he would lead some type of army. I mean, there's fantastic stories with Gidon. He had this uh, decent-sized army, uh, not major, 22,000. God says too many, and they, they knock it down to a few thousand. Then God says too many, they knock it down to 300, and they surround the mountain with torches, and they, the enemy runs. All their wars were going to be miraculous. It was, this was not regular warfare. You didn't have a standing army. You didn't train people. No one, everyone was clueless. We even find King David when he's, when he's eulogizing King Saul, he talks about how Saul and, and, and Jonathan, Yonason, had to teach the Jewish people how to fight, how to use swords. Like, we didn't know. We didn't fight. That was not, even when we went to war, maybe we charged. But then they had to run away. If God's taking care of us, they run away. If he's not taking care of us, we're not charging. So this was this amazing period of time called the Judges. So again, you have this famous story with Devorah, where uh, there's this mighty Sisra with the world's largest tank army. In those days, they weren't tanks. They were chariots. And if Pharaoh had 600, he has 900. And Devorah has 10,000, 10,000, like a minuscule amount of people. They get on top of a mountain, and they run down the mountain, and Sisra's army runs for their lives, and the chariots start getting hot, and they go into the river, and the river... F- washes them down and destroys the army and and eventually sister makes himself to Yael's tent and she chops off his head when he goes to sleep. But different, multiple, multiple stories of how the judges took care of the Jewish people. But it was all miraculous. There was no, again, there was no, there was nobody sitting like a king that would go ahead and say that, okay, we have to pay taxes, I need soldiers, I need this. There was none of that. And it, 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 was, it was, I guess, the ideal. That was really the way it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be that, that everybody lived, everyone took care of themselves. There's, you can have spiritual leaders, but there was really no, no, uh, no um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not democratic leader, but no type of government leadership, no type of monarchy. That didn't exist till we actually asked for it. Now we're going to talk, it's really fascinating, because the Torah actually says when you will ask for a king. So the Torah very clearly seems to give permission for a person, for the Jewish people to ask for kings. Um, but we didn't ask for hundreds of years. So as a nation, um, we had our spirituality, we had our religiosity, if that's a good word, and we survived as a nation for hundreds of years. Yes, nations came in. We had to chase them out, came in, out, in, out. Of course, all the stories with Samson. He was a one-man wrecking crew, and, and he didn't get the Philistines to leave the area. He just frightened them so much that they may have lived in the neighborhood, 
but they didn't start up with us. As we didn't deserve to chase them out of the country, we deserve to have somebody come and take care of us that, uh, you know, if you bother me, my big brother's going to come and beat you up. So that's, again, he's another one of the judges. So th this was something that took place for a very beautiful period of time. It was really just amazing. Just think about it, right? No taxes, no, uh, no political campaigns, no, no nothing. You just get to live. Happy life. No one comes to take your money. No one says your son has to serve in the army. You just lived. You could study. You lived. Your family, married, not married. You moved along. It was beautiful. Then came a period of time. We get to the prophet Samuel. Samuel, some would say he was the last of the judges. I guess that could be debatable if he was just a prophet or if he was a judge. Um, talking about Samuel, it's fascinating. Samuel is equal to Moses and Aaron. So um, it says that Samuel's mother, just because we're talking about him, so I just, somebody just told me this uh, the other day. So Samuel's mother couldn't have children. So she goes to pray to God that she wants a child. But she doesn't want any child. She says to God, um, I want a child as great as Moses and Aaron. Why shouldn't ask for more? A good question. And she got her wish, which is really a great, great lesson, which has nothing to do with what I'm talking about today, except uh, because I heard it last week. It's just a beautiful thought. When you're praying to God, you know, don't sell yourself short. Go, go ask for everything, because it doesn't really matter to God. You need $100, $1,000, $10,000, $100,000, million. It doesn't matter to God. So if you're gonna, if you're gonna ask for very little, you might get what you asked for. If you're gonna ask for a lot, you also might get what you asked for. Now you could be told no for the same price. So there's no guarantee. But if I'm allowed to ask, I might as well as they say shoot for the moon. So Samuel's mother said she wanted the greatest. God gave it to her. I mean, you would think she, she can't even have kids, right? So if she can't have kids, God, do something for me. At least give me a kid, right? I don't care. Um, but she said, no, I'm talking to God if I believe that God can give me a child, he can give me any kind of child I want. Okay, amazing. So she has Samuel, This is he's the leader, he's the prophet, he's taking care of the Jewish people. And now all of a sudden, the Jewish people wake up and they decide, we want a king. And Samuel is not happy. You need a king for? You have me. Now again, he, he, he wasn't like power hungry, he didn't have an army, he didn't collect taxes. So exactly what it mattered, okay, yeah, it's true that you're the prophet and there's no king. Now maybe if there's a king, it'll, uh, it'll take over your position, perhaps, right? perhaps. But overall, it, it didn't really affect Samuel at all. It's not like he was losing something that you can imagine. He was a prophet. He was a holy man. So you want a king, like, what does he care? So that was really debatable why they wanted a king. Actually, the Rambam says that Shmuel, Samuel, is the prophet. He's trying to tell people how to behave and how to act. Samuel thought if they get a king, then they're not going to listen to me anymore. So I won't be able to reprimand them. I won't be able to help them grow in their spirituality because, oh, we got a king. And Samuel understood that they were getting a king, so he would stop bothering them. 
okay, that, that it's not so much that's taking away his job, which it was, but it's it's looking for an excuse, right? Sometimes we, uh, yeah, you'll find my children all the time, of course, oh, uh, let me go ask this person, let this person be in charge, but adults do it even more, right? If this person's in charge, so he's going to do whatever I want anyway, so now I don't have to listen. So Samuel felt, according to the Rambam, according to Maimonides, Samuel felt they were looking for an excuse not to need a prophet and, uh, again, live life the way they wanted. Um, there's a, an interesting Abarbanel. Abarbanel says it's really more attitude. And if you look at the verses, it's, it's beautiful. The Torah says you can get a king. And there's a, a, there are good purposes to a king. But there's one purpose that's no good. If you just want to be like all the other nations, they have a king, we need a king, uh, we need someone to lead the army. If that's your overall attitude, no good. You don't want a king just because everybody else has a king. You don't want a king because you need someone to lead the army because you have God to take care of you. For the last couple hundred years, you had the judges taking care of you. Why all of a sudden now do you need a king? If that is your attitude. If that is your purpose, no good. If the purpose of the king, which is, by the way, the real purpose of a king, if the purpose of the king is to make sure that the level of spirituality of the nation is where it belongs, that was a king has power. Right? A king uh, could kill people. Right? He can have an army. He can have soldiers. He can, he can get involved and he can send his troops and say, we're not acting this way in this town anymore. And if you're not going to clean it up, I'll clean it up for you. As the, a king is in a good position from his um, base of power to observe, watch, make sure everybody's behaving the way they're supposed to. A prophet could also, but a prophet's a one-man show. A king will have people working for him. So there, there's definitely benefits. There's even really a, a, another benefit, which is with the high holidays around the corner, it's, a, it's an important concept to talk about where... Where, again, I say Rosh Hashanah is around the corner. Uh, Rosh Hashanah is in uh, a little over three weeks from now. So Rosh Hashanah is not far away. High holidays, beginning of the new year. Rosh Hashanah, our job, which we'll talk about a lot um, in the next couple of weeks, but our goal of Rosh Hashanah is to, is to recognize God as king, is to reclaim, to, I don't want to say re-inaugurate, but um, to, to claim proclaim that God is king. The problem is, and it's very hard nowadays, what's a king? Yeah, I have friends from England. They would say, you Americans, you have no idea what a king or queen is. They don't either, by the way. But at least they have a clue. We have no clue because we're anti any type of people telling us what to do. So that's anyways a problem. A king is, is someone that has power of life and death. You look the wrong way at a king. You don't show proper respect to a king. He kills you. People shake if they have to go in front of a king. If the king is coming to the area, if the king sends his advisors, if the king sends some soldiers to check something out, people are petrified because they know the king rules over life and death. They believe it. You believe, you know that this king could execute you for no good reason. You can't defend yourself. He could, he could lock you up in a dungeon, no questions asked. So a king is all-powerful and a power that petrifies people. A king could also be benevolent. A king could give you land, no questions asked. 
Akinka decide to just give you a bag of gold so you can live better. A king can change your status, again, overnight, no questions asked. So a king has a power that a regular person doesn't have. And when we see how a human king is, the respect we're supposed to have for a human king, the fear we have for a human king, um, whether good or bad, what a human king could do for us, again, that's why that's not really, England's not really a good example, um, then in turn, we, we at least have a clue to figure out what God wants from us. In other words, if I know what a human king is like, so now I can say, oh, that's a human king. Imagine how I have to act towards God. So there's a, a tremendous benefit when we have a king. Having a king lead us just helps us have a, a better relationship with God because it, it gives me feelings, it gives me a clue, it gives me an, a, a direction to know how I'm supposed to be acting with God. That's why the idea of a king is so very important. So it's interesting, by the way, um, a king has some special rules. Not anybody could just be a king, even though by the end of the Second Temple, the kings were not by Torah law kings. They were political. The Roman uh, government put them in place, but by law they were not supposed to be good kings. Not good, I'm sorry, not legal, not Torah kings. Why? Why? Because the verse says that you have to have a king from your brothers. That means he has to be born Jewish. Not only does he have to have a Jewish mother, he has to have a Jewish father. Now, technically, but that at least is not direct in the in this week's Torah portion, but after King Saul, then we get King David, it has to be from David's family. But that's, forget about that, we'll put that on the side. So the Hasmoneans, the Hasmoneum, were priests, and they took over the kingship by the, by the Hanukkah story, and they became kings. Now, that was not allowed. They weren't going against this verse, they were going against another verse. But eventually, one of the slaves by the name of Herod, he took over, um, even if he was a freed slave, and even if perhaps there were some Jewish mothers over there, but his father wasn't Jewish. He was for sure a slave, even later generations of his. So they were not fit to be kings. But look, the Roman government put them there. What are you supposed to do? The last one was a king by the name of Agrippus. The Talmud tells us he was really a very, very good king. He, it says, if he would be traveling and a bride would be traveling by, he'd let her go first to a funeral procession and he brought the first fruits. And, and there's even a special command, which technically would be a year from, uh, from Sukkot, where the, they build a wooden platform in the temple area, and the king gets up and he reads the fifth book, most of the fifth book, uh, Moses of, De of Deuteronomy. So he was reading. This king agrees, and he gets to this verse. The king has to be from your brothers. He starts crying. He knows he's politically appointed. He's not a fool. But he also knows, according to the Torah that he's trying to keep, he's not supposed to be a king. But he was such a good king. So the rabbi said, no, Agrippus, you're our brother. You're amazing. This verse includes you. Your mother's Jewish. It's good enough. Now, it's not true. It was flattery, which is not acceptable. And the rabbis were punished for it. right? But he was such a good king that they felt, why get him angry? But at the end of the day, he should not have been a king. As good as he was because his rules and regulations 
even where the king comes from. There's um, three basic laws. I'm not sure how many I'll get through. We will try. Um, a king cannot have as many wives as he wants. When I tell you the number, you'll think that sounds pretty high. The number is 18. Um, the Torah says you can't have too many wives, because if you have too many wives, they're going to they're gonna twist you and you go off the path of serving God. King Solomon comes along and says, I understand the Torah's reason. It won't affect me. He had over a thousand wives. Now, in truth, he had all those wives. It was a political reason because he married kings and, and their daughters and from all kinds of nations in the world, so no one's going to attack him. He can rule the world because he's related to everybody. But at the end of the day, King Solomon decided he knew the reason. And therefore, he had a lot of wives, and it actually says that they did turn his heart, whether they turned his heart, whether it's just he wasn't, uh, whether his wives weren't behaving properly. But a fascinating side note on that, that because uh, the Torah doesn't say a reason, as that's the point, the Torah didn't say the reason. Solomon decided the reason. He decides the reason, and now he makes some decision. The Torah didn't say a reason. If the Torah doesn't say a reason, you got to follow. Anyways, my music is playing. I tried so hard to get through lots of stuff. I got through some of the stuff. I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, for one of the sponsors and listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you on the production team. We have David, Alan, and Andy in the back. I have a pleasure on Food for Thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NM Streamcast. And until next time, don't forget to think about it. There's a house we can build, every room inside.